We're very blessed here at Olive Branch to have numerous visitors come our way every week, and some have decided to join hands with us, place membership, become a part of the family here. It may be that you're in the process of looking for a church home, and we want to encourage you to come and be a part of the family here that meets in Olive Branch. We'd love to have you. And I think we have a great group of people. We've got a lot of good young people, and you would fit right in. And so we'd love to have you. We're going to be looking today at Matthew chapter 16. I want to invite you to turn to Matthew 16, verses 24 through 27, the passage that was read just a moment ago. We're going to be talking about some of the challenges that we face being a disciple of Jesus. There are a lot of challenges that we face as Christians. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? To be a follower of him. I want to begin today by talking about the invitation to follow Jesus. And as we look at these passages, passages of scripture, it's apparent that Jesus calls on people of every age to make a decision, to decide whether or not they will follow him. As we think about the decision to follow Jesus Christ, the Son of God, I want to begin by saying that there is hope for you. There's hope for all. I think sometimes people feel unworthy of the love of God, the love of Jesus. They have this idea that they are unworthy of anything that God could ever do for them. And so I want to begin by saying there is hope for you. There's hope for all of us. And one of the reasons why there is hope for us is because the Lord Jesus Christ is interested in you. Now sometimes we think about the love of God and the interest that the Lord has for the human family. It's hard for us to imagine that in a world filled with about 7 billion people that God would be personally interested in me. Or that Jesus Christ would have a personal vested interest in me as an individual. But that's the case. The Lord cares about all of us. And that's why I say there is hope for you. And the reason there is hope is because the Lord is interested in you personally. In Luke chapter 19 verse 10 the Bible says that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. I think about the great golden text of the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. To think that God loved me enough, that he loved you enough personally to send his son to die for your sins. That suggests to me that there's hope. And then I think about how the Lord is inviting you. He's inviting all of us to become his people. Listen to what he said in Matthew 16, 24. If anyone desires to come after me, Jesus is interested in you. He is inviting you to be a disciple of his. In Matthew 11, verse 28, Jesus would say, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden. The promise being, I will give you rest. Now, we talk about how there is hope for us but there's also help for us. Sometimes we use the phrase, help is on the way. Well, let me tell you what, when it comes to the redemptive plan of Almighty God, help is here. And as I think about 
the help that is available to all people. I want to begin by saying that what we need to do is resolve now to follow Jesus, to make the resolution that you're going to be a follower of him, that you're going to be one of his disciples. Jesus said, if anyone comes after me, if you'll make that resolution, if you will resolve now to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, here's what he'll do. He will redeem you by his blood. Did you know that the Bible says that when we come to Christ, every sin is washed away. The Bible tells us in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. John tells us in Revelation chapter 1 verse 5, unto him who loved us and washed us from our sins by his own blood. A moment ago I said that sometimes we feel unworthy of the love of God. We have this idea that we are, that we are so unworthy of what he can do for us. The devil wants you to live in sin. And, and the devil wants you to think that there's just no way God would ever be interested in you as an individual. That there's no way that you can, that you can be helped in your spiritual state. In other words, you are beyond repair. Think about how many people have that idea. They feel like they, they have a broken life. And I will freely grant that sin will break your life. It, it has destroyed countless numbers of lives. But the beauty is there's hope for you and there is help for you. When you come to Jesus Christ, every sin can be washed away. There are folks that come through these doors on a regular basis and they come in to the, to the assembly, if you please, and they are burdened with a life of sin. They are loaded down with guilt. The beauty of coming to Christ is you can walk out these doors and you can be forgiven. Every sin can be washed away. The psalmist said, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. The Hebrew writer said, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. And their sins and their iniquities, he said, I will remember no more. To think that God will not just forgive me, but that he will forget. In other words, he'll no longer hold those things against me. Whatever I've done in the past, it'll never be brought up again. That's a great thought. Now, what about the obligations of following Jesus? What are some of the demands, the expectations that are imposed upon me if I choose to become a disciple of Jesus? There are really three key words that I would call attention to as we look at our text. The first key word would be selfless. Following Jesus involves selflessness. Listen, if you would, to what Jesus said. If anyone desires to come out to me, let him deny himself. If I were to ask you today, who is the supreme example of a selfless, selfless life, who would you say? Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus was willing to leave the glories of heaven and come to earth to save us. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul said, Have this mind in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, counted not being on an equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, 
and became obedient unto death, yes, even the death of the cross. Jesus left the riches of heaven, the association that he had with his heavenly father, and came to this earth to suffer, bleed, and die for us. All he's calling upon to those who would be his disciples is to demonstrate a selfless attitude, to be willing to put him first, to, as he said, deny self. Now, one of the real crises that we face in this age is selfishness. I mean, there are a lot of folks, when you talk about life and you think about the things that they want to do, it's all about them. Everything has to revolve around them. This idea of being selfless, putting others first or putting the Lord first, has somehow gotten lost in our society today. And yet what Jesus is saying is, look, if you want to be my disciple, you've got to be willing to put me first. You've got to be willing to deny yourself. I'll freely grant that many of us deny ourselves very little. But the Lord is saying, you want to be my disciple. I have to be first and foremost in your life. Jesus would say in Matthew 6, verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. There are a lot of people in society today, the religious world today, they're looking for a group of people, they're looking for a congregation that will somehow meet all of their quote-unquote felt needs. Now, I understand that we want to find a place that we can identify with and that will help meet our spiritual needs and help meet the needs of our children. But what about finding a congregation that will not only meet our spiritual needs, but will enable us to serve? to use our talents or our abilities to further the cause of Christ, to bring honor and glory to God, to say, you know what, I'm here to serve. I'm here to do what I can to exalt the name of Christ and to be a faithful child of God, to live so that others can see Christ living in me. There's a second key word that I want to call attention to, and that is suffering. Following Jesus involves suffering. Listen again to what he said in verse 24. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. The idea of taking up the cross of Jesus involves suffering. Not a pleasant thought necessarily. And yet the supreme example of suffering was Jesus. The Hebrew writer tells us, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Jesus went to the cross for us. He literally emptied himself of the glories of heaven, came to earth, and as Paul said, became obedient unto death, yes, even the death of the cross. You remember when Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 2, when he talked about how Christ also suffered for us? What's it mean to take up our cross? Look, all Jesus is saying is, you want to be a follower of mine, then there's a good possibility you're going to face some persecution. You're going to face some difficulties. Paul would say, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, all who live godly in Christ Jesus 
shall suffer persecution. Jesus would say, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The beauty of Christianity, and when I think about the teaching of Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ was very transparent in everything he said. In other words, he didn't try to, he didn't try to somehow pull the wool over people's eyes. He didn't try to mask the true meaning of discipleship. He said, look, this is what it entails. You want to be a, you want to be a servant of mine, you have to understand there's going to be some tough times. You're going to face some persecutions in life by way of application. There are times as New Testament Christians that we're persecuted. We're not necessarily persecuted bodily in a bodily fashion, but sometimes we take verbal abuse. There are times when we are shunned or ostracized because of our belief system, because of our values. Did you know that there are employees today who are members of the body of Christ that are sometimes harassed because they believe Jesus is the Son of God or because they're not willing to compromise their morality or their ethical standards to fit in? There are some employers that put a lot of pressure on their employees to be deceptive, dishonest, to, to engage in, in behavior that's not becoming of a Christian. And so what Jesus is saying is, if you're going to be my disciple, you have to expect these things. What about young people? Young people naturally want to fit in, don't they? And, and yet there are times when Peer pressure can be so great. Young people are sometimes, well, sometimes they're made fun of because they're not willing to drink, because they're not willing to take drugs, because they're not willing to compromise their moral convictions and have sexual relations outside of marriage. They're not willing to be dishonest. They're not willing to cheat or help others cheat because to them, they have a standard. I appreciate our young people and the faith that they have and their willingness to try to live right in a wicked world. Look, the world is filled with darkness and yet sometimes young folks have a very difficult time. One of the things that we ought to do on a, on a daily basis is pray for our young people. Pray that they will be strong and faithful to Almighty God because they are literally under the gun in the world around them. And then there are times when you have a believing mate married to an unbeliever. And there, there are times when an unbelieving mate can make life really, really difficult for somebody who's trying to live a Christian life. Now, that's not always the case. But there have been and there are people that are married to people that aren't Christians and, and they make life difficult. I've heard of people that have had unbelievable difficulties out of an unbelieving spouse. And so, again, 
to just realize this is what we're up against as children of God. This is what it means to take up our cross. And then there's a third word I want to call attention to. And that is the word steadfastness. Being a follower of Jesus involves being steadfast. In other words, living a steadfast life for the Lord. Again, I think about the supreme example of somebody that had a steadfast, resolute course in life. That was Jesus. When Jesus came to earth, he understood what was before him, that being the cross. He came to fulfill the will of the Father. Now, here's what Jesus said. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. We've got to say, when we become New Testament Christians, we're in this thing for the long haul. Our eyes are on Jesus. The Hebrew writer said that he endured the cross and despised the shame. He counted it joy to go to the cross. What was it that got him through the cross, the ordeal of the cross? It was a steadfast, resolute demeanor. What's going to get us through this life with its trials, tribulations, temptations, ups, downs, joys, frustrations, tears and sorrows? What is it that's going to somehow get us through this life? Steadfastness. Keeping our eyes on Jesus. Following him. Again, Peter said that Christ has left us an example that we should follow in his steps. We're striving to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. We're trying to live a steadfast life. As Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not vain in the Lord. And then there is a third thing that I would call attention to. And that is the evaluation of following Jesus. In these verses, we have before us an evaluation of what it means to follow Jesus. And really, what it reveals is ultimately our destiny. I want to begin by talking for a moment or two about the balance scales, or you could use the term balance sheet of life. When I think about a balance sheet, I think about a ledger. You've got profits on the one hand and losses on the other. Jesus, in verses 25 and 26, talks about this balance sheet or balancing scales. Listen, if you would, to what he says. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. First of all, what Jesus is saying is that life existing only for the here and now will be lost. If, if what you're living for is the here and now, if it's all about this life and the things that you can accumulate in this life, you're going to be a loser. You've already lost in many respects. Now, the flip side of that is, 
life lost in service to Jesus will be found. In other words, you'll be saved. You, you see, you have to make a decision. What's important? We talk about profits and losses. What, what's really important to you in this life? Is it, is it your home? Is it your money? Is it temporal gratification? Personal pleasure? Is it your job? Think, think about all of the things that we could live for in this life. We talk about fame and fortune, prestige and power, all of the things that come with life. There are people in our world today, they have bought into this side of life. And what they have said by the way they're living is, this is what's important. This is what I'm living for. I want to ask you this question. 100 years from today, 100 years from today, 2113, how important is your money going to be to you? The automobiles that are in your driveway, how important will they be to you? The clothing that's in your closet right now, the home you're living in, what about, what about your bank account, your stocks, your bonds, your CDs? What about your business, your land? How important will those things be to you in 2113? Let me tell you how important they'll be. They won't be important. You know why? Because you won't be here. Uh, unless the Lord allows you to live beyond 100, you're not going to be here. Now, I want to ask you this. The way you're living today, your lifestyle, what your life is all about, what everything revolves around, is it worth your soul? Are you willing to give your soul for what you're doing today. Listen to what Jesus said in verse 26. For what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? All Jesus is saying is if you gain the world and you lose your soul, you are the loser. You will have lost everything. That's why it puts into perspective life as we know it. I mean, is it nice to have money, to have a nice home and automobile and clothing and all of the things that come with life? Yes. We appreciate the nicer things of life. We appreciate the comforts of home. We, we appreciate a good job and all the things that come with life. But look, there is not one thing on this earth worth losing your soul for. And that's what Jesus is saying. If you lose your soul, you've lost everything. What, are you going to give, what will you give in exchange for your soul? Money? Land? A business? Power? Prestige? What would, you, what would you be willing to give up? Or rather, what have you given up for your soul? Now, Let's talk very quickly about the balance scales afterlife. 
You see, one day, our lives will be placed on some scales. We'll either win or we'll lose. We will either stand victorious or all will be lost. Jesus said in verse 27, the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels and then he will reward each according to his works. First and foremost, there is what I would call the sentencing of the sinful. I want you to please listen very carefully. Can you think of anything worse than hearing Jesus, the Son of God, say to you, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels? Here's why it's so bad, because it never had to happen. You don't have to lose your soul. You don't have to spend eternity banished from a righteous God. You don't have to spend eternity excluded from the light of the presence of Almighty God forevermore. But there are going to be a lot of people that miss it because they chose to live for self. They chose not to live for Jesus. I can't tell you how important it is to be a disciple of Jesus. We talk about being sentenced before a judge. We're going to stand before the judge of all the earth. And Abraham said, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? God's going to do what's right. And we're going to stand in his presence and he is going to one day open this book. And the way that we have lived on this earth will follow us to the judgment. Paul said, we must all be made manifest before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may give an account of the deeds done in the body according to what we have done, whether good or bad. Now I want to ask you, when you stand before the Lord, will he say, depart, you cursed? Wouldn't it be tragic to be in this assembly today to have examined what Jesus said in Matthew 16 and then to miss heaven? The flip side there is the reward of the righteous. When Jesus comes with all his holy angels and we are seated upon, or rather we are seated before the judgment seat of Christ, the Bible says he will say to those on the right, well done, good and faithful servant. Will he say that to you? Sometimes we ask the question, is it worth living the Christian life? I promise you, it's worth it. It is worth the heartaches, the trials, the tears, the persecutions. Whatever you face in life as a Christian, it is worth it. He, the Hebrew writer said in the long ago, God is not unrighteous to forget our work and labor of love. God will reward you for faithfulness. I would hope and pray that as we think about some of the challenges that we face as disciples, that we will realize the importance of being a follower of Jesus. And that we will say, look, we're in this thing for the long haul. We're going to be faithful come what may. And one day when the Lord Jesus Christ comes, we have a home for us. He has a home for us in heaven. 
It may be that you're here today, you're not a disciple of Jesus. Maybe your life has been ripped apart by sin. Could I encourage you to come to Christ? Believing that Jesus is the Son of God. Repenting of every sin. Confessing his name with your mouth. And then being baptized into him so that every sin can be washed away. You know, when you look at life and all the different facets of life, I mean, there are a lot of things that, that go with living in this world. But there is nothing more important than making the decision to follow Jesus. We want people to go to heaven. We want you to go to heaven. God wants you to be in heaven one day. God's done his part. It's up to you to make the decision to follow him. Why not be baptized so that every sin can be washed away, Acts twenty two sixteen, and then be faithful. And one day God will bestow on you the crown of life. Maybe you're here today, you're not faithful. Maybe you haven't been giving your all. Maybe you're not what the Lord would say is a faithful, dedicated servant. You can come home. You can come back to a loving God who will abundantly pardon because God cares about you. Whatever need you may have, would you come as we stand and sing?